Act One of Wives on Strike by Lillian Sutton Paley. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Characters Betty Albright, A Bride. Read by Adrienne Prevost. Thornton Albright, Her Husband, An Architect. Read by Andrew Kennedy. Reynold Winburn, Betty's Admirer. Read by Anthony Joseph. Lily de Longpre, A Vampire. Read by Jen Broda. Clara Collins, Betty's Friend. Read by Michelle Eaton. Jane Spink, Betty's Aunt. Read by Wendy Katzhiller. Bob Spink, Betty's Uncle. Read by Alan Mapstone. Patricia Dugan, President of the Wives' Welfare Club. Read by Anna Maria. Tom Dugan, her husband, a businessman. Read by Mason Lewis. Yura Lamb, Treasurer of Wives' Welfare Club. Read by T.J. Burns. Jim Lamb, her husband, a professor of philosophy. Read by Larry Wilson. Shisha Nutt, member of Wives' Welfare Club. Read by Devorah Allen. Polly, a parrot, read by Todd. Stage directions, read by T.R. Love. Costumes and characteristics. This is no poor woman's club, as is evident by the stunning gowns that are worn. The women represent that stratum of middle-class society who put all the money they can get on their backs and mortgage their homes to buy a car. Patricia Duggan, usually referred to as Pat, a magnificent-looking creature of about 30. She rather prides herself on her oratorical ability and does everything for effect, covering her limitation with high-handed authority. Shisha Nutt, a simpering non-entity of about 24, with round, staring blue eyes, a nubbin of a nose, an ever-grinning mouth, all fluffs and ruffles. You're a lamb of boxcar proportions and feline disposition, somewhere around thirty. Lily de Longpre, about twenty-five, languorous-eyed, sinuous of movement, very much made up, addicted to clinging robes, which cover without concealing. Jane Spink, a middle-aged woman, short, stout, and something of a frump, though her dress is of heavy wine-colored satin. Betty Albright, a buoyant, wholesome young woman of about twenty-two. She presents a very trim appearance in her sport hat and skirt, shirtwaist and silk sweater. Clara Collins, a demure young girl of about eighteen, plump, rosy-cheeked, and wears an inexpensive but dainty frock. Bob Spink, a middle-aged man, he is bald of head, round of face, and there is a merry twinkle in his eyes. Thornton Albright, an architect, just starting out for himself. He is a well-set-up man of about twenty-eight, the masterful type so much in demand with the fair sex. He comes to conclusions quickly, and his opinions stick. Reynold Winburn, a slight, blonde young man of about twenty-two. Jim Lamb, a pale-faced, timid man who has studied other people's thoughts so long that he hasn't had an idea of his own. 
he wears large, horn-rimmed goggles. Tom Duggan, a tired-looking businessman about 40. John Nutt, an everyday sort of a man about 30. Act 1. Scene. Sitting room in the Spink residence, old-fashioned but richly furnished. Two rows of chairs are arranged in semicircles from right to left, with a space open in center. Small table right center for chairman. Secretary's book on table. A door center leads to street. To left of door is a window. A small table in front of it on which stands a cage with parrot. Right of door is another small table with bowl of flowers. Further right, an ingle nook where built-in seats leave only sufficient space for the fireplace. At left, window with a divan in front. Door at right opens into kitchen. Discovered. The Wives' Welfare Club in full swing. It is composed of about a dozen members, all but Betty Albright have assembled. Patricia Duggan stands left of table, holding a gavel. Shisha Nutt is seated at extreme left in front row. To her right is Yora Lamb. Next to her, to the right, is Lily DeLongpre. Jane Spink is seated on front row right, next a vacant chair nearest the table, which is reserved for the secretary. Other members are seated on rear chairs as desired. Ladies and gents, I mean, ladies and wives, we have finished the regular business of our meeting, and now comes the all-important question for which we have met in solemn conclave, the rights of wives. I need not enumerate the petty persecutions to which woman has been subjected since the dawn of history by tyrannical man. Something must be done. Yes, yes. Something, yes. Must something, be done. something must be done. We must act. Yura, aside to Shisha. <laughs> She's always acting. Shisha titters. <laughs> Pat gives her a reproving look, which causes Shisha's eyes to grow rounder with solemnity. Yes, yes, we, yes, must, yes, act. yes we, we must act. Pat, impressively. But how? Jane bounces up. Madam Chairman? Pat, condescendingly recognizing the floor. Jane Spink? I move that we hold an informal discussion of our difficulties over our teacups before taking any action. Sits. Tea? <laughs> oh, lovely. Holly, want a cracker? Oh, oh yeah. cute. Pat brings down her gavel. Ladies, order, please. Smiles complacently. I'm sure Jane's motion will carry unanimously. Yura, rising with much dignity. Madam Chairman, I insist that the motion be put in its proper form. Pat contemptuously. You're a lamb. This club is too advanced to be bound by petty rules. Ladies, make yourselves comfortable. She drops on vacant chair as if exhausted by her onerous task. Everybody talks at once in a different key. Yura protests to Shisha and those sitting back of her. They gradually move over to window. Some of the women play with the parrot, lending a rather indifferent ear to Yura. Others ensconce themselves in the ingle nook. Shisha joins them there. Jane and Lily rise, but remain in their places. When Jane begins to speak, there is a lull. Jane looks around. Dear me, hasn't Betty come yet? I thought you said she was going to act as secretary. 
She did promise, and she also told me she would be here to help prepare the lunch. Lily, with affected manner and insinuating tone. You don't mean to say, Mrs. Spink, that Betty is a member of this club. Poor girl, is her marriage a failure, too? Jane, with austerity. No, Miss Lily de Longpre. My niece's marriage is a complete success. Giving Lily a sharp look. Through no help from some of her friends. Lily, provokingly. Whom? Reynold Winburn? Shoots an insolent glance from under half-closed eyes, then with a saucy toss of her head joins Yura and others near window. Jane, hurling the words after her, no, not Reynold Winburn. To Pat. Thornton had to be a fast runner to elude that creature. The way she tagged after him was disgraceful. Did Betty know she was coming here today? I don't know, but that wouldn't have kept her away. Betty has too much common sense to be jealous, especially of that breed. Enter Betty and Clara, down center. Hello, everybody. Glad to see you, Betty. Nods pleasantly and goes to Inglenook. Hope I didn't keep you waiting, Auntie. I brought Clara along. Isn't it lovely that she has moved right next door to us? Goes center. Jane is right and Clara left. But Clara isn't married and this club is for married ladies only. But she may be soon. Laughs. I have a husband all picked out for her. Clara, modestly. Oh, you. Don't waste blushes on women, Clara. Keep them for Reynolds. A girl that can still blush these blushless days can bring any man to her feet. Clara to Jane. Betty said you might like me to help serve. Indeed I would. And maybe you can pick up some helpful information about the ways of man. Betty, I expected you much earlier. I'm sorry, Auntie, but the house took longer to straighten than I anticipated. Betty? You're not spoiling your husband after all my training, are you? Betty, laughing. No spoiling, Thornton. He's like fruitcake. The longer it's kept, the better it gets. Jane, with a sniff of disdain. There's no reasoning with a lovesick fool. You give me the fidgets. All these guests and Bridget gone. Betty, astonished. The cook left, too? Consolingly. Ah, what a shame. I didn't care so much about the chambermaid leaving, but to lose the cook? And you know what a crank your uncle is about his meals. Poor Uncle Bob. Jane, irascibly. Why do you say that? Oh, I don't know. Why did the cook leave? Goodness only knows. She said something about a sympathy strike. It certainly wasn't sympathy for me. The ungrateful creature walked out in the middle of sandwich-making. Gives gesture of despair. Isn't it dreadful, the number of strikes there are now? Betty, patting Jane. Don't worry, Auntie. We'll fix everything in a jiffy. I didn't specialize in domestic science for nothing. Come on, Clara. It'll give the Wives' Welfare Club time to discuss. Clara, innocently. Their husbands? No, dear. Each other. She laughs. Exit Betty, Clara, and Jane, downright. Yura to Lily. Lily, I want you to meet our president. Confidentially. <laughs> 
she doesn't know a parliamentary rule from a golf stick her stupidity is almost masculine pat and shisha go from inglenook down right center talking together mrs lamb i feel as if i had got into the wrong stall with all you married women this is no place for a lone bachelor maid with matrimonial inclinations you have had so much more experience my dear than we have i thought you might give us a pointer or two lily annoyed by the inference now i say don't say meet our president patricia dugan lovingly dubbed pat by us smiles sweetly on pat but conveys her sarcasm by a glance to lily and shisha nut shisha smiles vacuously pat is right center shisha center you're a left center and lily to her left pat crosses over and extends her hand to lily this is a pleasure mrs miss lily de longpray pat surprised miss here that's all right i invited her she has had so much lily haughtily please do not give out any wrong impressions only married women can afford to be promiscuous remember my third finger is still uncorseted yura laughs no wedding ring to bind to pat don't you think mr longpray would be a valuable addition to us with meaning as she exchanges a knowing look with shisha we need somebody in this club with an idea or two if you employ as much tact with your husband your lamb as you do in your club work i think he would prefer alimony to matrimony lily to pat how long have you been organized shisha has been listening with a stupid smile on her face her mind works for a moment a year ago last new year wasn't it pat pat with a crushing look no fourth of july i knew it had something to do with resolutions <laughs> gives a childish laugh as she claps her hands gleefully i have it life liberty and the pursuit of happiness lily to pat i'm not quite clear as to the purpose of your club shisha a look of bewilderment coming over her face the purpose what is our purpose pat i never thought to ask pat gives shisha a disdainful look which causes the fatuous smile to change to wonder pat turning to lily prepares to display her oratory we have banded ourselves together some of the women look up and snicker as pat's voice rings out yura winks at shisha <laughs> uh, pat i think i hear jane calling you what a funny club everybody calls the other by her given name pat with extreme sobriety our mutual trials relate us more closely we are one in bondage makes a theatrical sweep toward down right lily following her but don't you think there are times when the man has something on his side yura aside to shisha sympathizing with husbands is a stock and trade of vamps pat turning on lily patronizingly my child you speak with the tongue of inexperience to-day you may learn sufficient from our trials and tribulations to save yourself from a like fate as she goes toward downright i'm coming jane 
Lily goes to Inglenook. Exit Pat down right. Shisha to Yura. Who is that Mr. Longprey? An old flame of Betty's husband. She and Betty used to be classmates. Watch and you'll see some sparks fly this afternoon. I'm surprised that Betty didn't let her have him. Reynold Winburn is such a tame young thing, and he has heaps more money than Thornton, and he sure was dippy over Betty. Probably the opposition decided her. You know Betty has a will of her own when aroused. My John thinks Thornton the finest ever, but I think he's dreadfully selfish. <laughs> well, I certainly don't see anything so attractive about him for women to fight over him. He has always treated me with the courtesy of a polar bear. <laughs> Enter Betty, Jane, Pat, and Clara downright, carrying the tea things. Jane pours tea from table right. The others distribute sandwiches, cakes, and tea. Some of the women come forward from Inglenook and get their tea themselves. Others remain standing or sitting, ready to be served. Yura takes chair up by window. Jane to Shisha who has advanced to her with childish anticipation. Strong or weak, Shasha? Strong. My poor nerves. Takes tea, sips it as she goes, and sits by Yura. In the meantime, someone else has given Yura her tea and cakes. What delicious tea, Jane! <laughs> this is the best part of the meeting. Some of the women look pityingly at Shisha and smile among themselves. Lily goes to Betty left center and extends her hand for tea, which Betty gives her. So, Betty, you have joined the disgruntled wives, too? Insinuatingly. Does Thornton approve? Betty, cheerfully. This is my first appearance in the camp of destruction. Aunt Jane inveigled me into paying my dues and asked me to serve temporarily as secretary. She didn't tell me anything about their foolish notions, but I got a pretty good idea from Pat in there. Nods toward kitchen. It's ridiculous. I don't want you to think... Lily, knowingly. You're a sly one. You can match your wits against Thornton or any other man, my dear. But you're altogether mistaken. There isn't the tiniest speck of a cloud on my matrimonial sky. Yura, aside to Shisha as they lean forward to catch Lily's and Betty's words. Betty must be blind not to see a cyclone rising in Tiger Lily's eyes. Lily, sympathetically. You don't need to act before me, Betty. I was afraid you wouldn't find Thornton quite all he made himself out to be. So long as he was dazzling you with his well-arranged halo, I wouldn't demolish the sacred image you were deifying. But now, if you're ready for the truth... Betty, with earnest protest. But I tell you... Oh, if you prefer the delusion. Shrugs her shoulders, then insinuatingly. By the way, have you seen Reynold Winburn since your marriage? Betty, frankly. Of course. He and Thornton are like brothers. Oh, is that Rennie's pose? <laughs> then he didn't drown himself in the deep blue sea. Surely you don't take an infant like that seriously. A twenty-two-year-old infant is able to toddle about alone a bit. Leers over her shoulder as she joins some of the women at extreme right. Betty, so confused that she passes tea to an empty chair. Tea, madam? 
Jane has been keeping an eye on Betty and Lily while serving tea. Betty! Betty sees her mistake and tries to cover her confusion by overdone gaiety. Shisha rises and comes forward with her cup. Is there plenty of tea? Oh, heaps. Laughs self-consciously. I mean, plenty. Isn't this a jolly party? Turns away and serves others. Clara passes cake to Lily. Hello, Clara. I saw you out motoring with Reynold Winburn the other day. She moves away from ladies so that she and Clara are by themselves. The others disperse for other interests. Is he seeking solace? Clara timidly. I don't know what you mean. Lily chucks her under the chin. Oh, Miss Innocence, don't let the wicked men fool you. Reynold is a knowing one. Mr. Winburn is very courteous and kind to everyone. Especially to Betty, eh? Clara flushing. I don't think it is a bit nice of you to speak in that insinuating way about Mr. Winburn. He wouldn't wrong anybody for the world. When a girl begins to defend a man, look out for the little fellow with the bow and arrow, and don't forget that when the dart is hit, it's not easy to pluck out. A person should always defend his friends. Friends? Oh, my dear, do you still cling to that illusion? Clara earnestly. Miss de Longpre, why do you always sneer at everything that is good and true? I don't. That is why I am warning you. I can't bear to see such a mild little rabbit made a dupe, just because she is poor and trusting. Clara flushing. Riches are not everything to everybody. Betty and Mr. Wimburn value people for themselves. Lily shakes her head as she moves away. Love is certainly myopic. Clara begins to collect the empty dishes. Jane removes the tea service from table and gives it to Clara, who takes it to the kitchen, returning at once. One cup is left on table right center. Pat comes to table and taps with her gavel. Some of the women set their empty cups on chairs and seats in the ingle nook. Others retain their cups, leisurely finishing their tea, then put the cups on any available place. All quickly take seats, talking as they do so. Jane, Yura, Shisha, and Lily resume former chairs. Shisha keeps sipping tea and munching cakes, happy as a child at a party. Betty sits right of table, right center. Pat, as Betty takes secretary's book from table and sits in chair right of it. You need not keep any record, Betty. The subject we are to discuss is of a very delicate nature, and some of the ladies might object to having their opinions of their husbands preserved in ink. There is a flurried movement among the women. Ladies, order, please. Let us discuss the question of the afternoon with calmness and frankness. Remember, everyone here has her hidden skeleton. Lily glances triumphantly at Betty, who haughtily raises her brows. I beg your pardon. The only skeleton I ever came in contact with was in the school laboratory. Indeed. How long have you been married? Jane, sniffing. Thirty. Everyone looks surprised. Days. They all laugh except Betty, who is annoyed, and Pat, who never forgets her dignity. Betty, vexed. But I have known at Thornton for years. 
No woman ever knows a man until she lives with him. Even then she only knows what he sees fit to tell her. Betty, blazing. I need no one to introduce me to my husband. Have a care, Betty, that you don't make him out too good to be true. Lily laughs. Ladies, we must be tolerant of ignorance. Betty's moon is still in the honey stage. Some day she may find it turned to Limburger. Betty rises and goes and sits with Clara in the inglenook. Yura whispers to Shisha. I always suspected Pat was pro-German. She should be recalled. Pat, marshalling all her oratorical powers. Before we women, who bear the heavy yoke of matrimony, take any final action, let each lift the veil from her hidden wrongs, that we may be enabled through this interchange of experiences to select the wisest course. You well know how woman has always borne her trials in silence, with never a murmur of complaint against her lord and master. Lily bursts out laughing. Pat brings down her gavel and smashes a teacup, much to Jane's annoyance. Young woman, this is a serious meeting, not a vaudeville show. Lily is properly squelched. But in so noble a cause, we must not indulge in false pride. Personally, I feel that I can no longer submit. Yura to Shisha and Lily. She's off in a bunch. Pat overhears her and frowns. Ladies, as leader of your splendid organization, it is my duty so to appear in public that I shall not bring shame upon you. But because of my husband's stinginess, I am forced to wear these... Lifts a part of her dress where a piece of lace has unraveled. Rags! Good night! General laugh. Women nudge each other, evidently commenting on Pat's clothes. Yura to Shisha and Lily as she motions to Pat. A real Paquin gown. Pat turns to women seated in rear row right. We are familiar with Maggie's, Dolly's, and Peggy's troubles. Turning to those in rear seats left. And the difficulty of these ladies were discussed before lunch. Is there any more tea? Pat scowls at Shisha who never can understand what she has done to merit rebuke, and always expresses her astonishment by a rounding of eyes. Pat turns to Lily. Being unmarried, Miss DeLongpre can add nothing to our subject. Oh, but I could, if you would let me. Don't let her. Before you know it, she will have you all in the divorce court, and have sailed off with your husbands. Women laugh. I wish someone would sail off with mine, then I could sue for damages. To your heart, Pat? No, to my wardrobe. To Yura. Yura Lamb, we know full well what you have had to put up with from your brute of a husband. <gasps> How dare you? I but repeated your own words. Yura rises. Ladies, I protest. <laughs> Tea has such a soothing effect on the nerves. Though not a member of your club, I must express my approval of Mrs. Lamb's attitude toward much misused man. Yura turns on Lily pugnaciously. <sighs> my husband may imagine he can handle me with caveman methods, but I need no outside help to handle him. Flounces up to Inglenook, Lily to Shisha. Poor Jimmy. Betty goes down left of Pat. 
Ladies, I suppose you are all on your way, but I fail to see where you are going. Betty, young wives should sit at the feet of experience. And old wives should eat less sugars and fats, starches and meats, to keep their heads clear. What has diet to do with getting on with husbands? Everything. Overfeeding and under-exercising upset the digestion and spoil the disposition. Pay no attention, ladies. Betty is a food crank. This is no pure food show. Betty shrugs her shoulders as though argument were useless and resumes her former seat by aunt. Our subject is man, corrupt man, especially our own particular man. She should not. Have you any charges to prefer against your husband? Shisha promptly. I should say I have. Pat, importantly. We will listen to them. My husband is a... Stops dead still, her face a blank. The majority of the women are eager for something salacious. Cries of, do tell us, etc. Neither Betty nor Clara ever enter into the spirit. Betty looks bored when not annoyed, and Clara looks ashamed. Pat, indulgently. Go on. We are beyond being shocked. Shisha, her mental clock again begins to tick. My husband has a... Stops. Pat, shocked but curious. A soulmate? Shisha stares blankly a moment, then angrily. Certainly not. I'm John's first and only love. General titter. Good night. Burst of laughter. Lily to woman behind her. Do they permit him at large? Yura to Clara. He must have married her on a bet. Pat severely. Mrs. Nutt, our time is limited. What is the matter with your husband? Matter with him? There's nothing the matter with him. Then why are you here? I thought you women might tell me some way to make my husband lose his temper. Smiles inanely. It would be such fun to see John mad just once. Put her, Put her, out. her out! Order, ladies, order! Although this woman has entered our organization under false colors, remember, we are not Bolshevists. Smiles condescendingly on Betty. Betty is too new at the game to add to our arraignment. Betty rises. Madam Chairman, I am a paid-up member of this club, and I insist on being heard. When I joined the Wives' Welfare Club, I was under the impression that it was a constructive organization. You ridicule me because I am newly wed. I hope when I am oldly wed, I shall not be less cognizant of my husband's virtues than I am now. Husbands have no virtues. Mine has. Sits. Ladies, we all recall our own loudly voiced praise of our husbands after one long month of married life. Jane, we have not yet heard from you. What impels you to support our movement? Jane rises. Betty, look out and see that your uncle is not in sight. Betty, protesting. Now, Auntie, please. Betty, you are very young and very ignorant. And though you lived under this roof all your life, very unobserving. Betty, as she goes to window. Of course, if you insist. I do. Ladies, I have heard you and your complaints. There are many and much, but mine are more and more. 
Some of the women ejaculate, oh. Yes, my husband. Stops for some accusation, then in a militant tone. Smokes up the curtains. Not since the doctor told Uncle Bob he wouldn't live the year out if he didn't stop. Betty, will you please keep your tongue between your teeth and your eyes on the road? To others. When I tell you that my husband's reformation was not brought about through change of heart, but because our family physician is a good friend of mine, you will readily see he deserves no credit. Mrs. Lamb, you say your husband is a caveman? <gasps> I didn't! Mrs. Chairman, have I the floor? Pat nods. Ladies, do you know what would happen were my husband to enter that door and find you here? With apprehension. He isn't in sight, is he, Betty? No, Aunt. Should he surprise our bold conference, he would... Dramatic pause. To use his own words, clean out the place. Shocking. 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 We better go. Calm yourself, ladies. It is not yet five. We have time to finish our important business. Ladies, you all know my husband is not a poor man, yet this very afternoon I was obliged to serve you tea with my own hands. And why? Because no servant will submit to his tyranny. Oh, Auntie. Silence. I will no longer suppress the truth. The ladies anticipate some terrible revelation, as their significant looks assert. Jane's words increase in momentum until she loses her breath. My husband is a glutton, a cormorant, a libertine, a loose fish, a rip, a rogue, a rakehell, a topper, a tippler, a tyrant, a bully, a chronic crank. Slows down. And... He would gamble the very roof from our heads if I ever let him handle more than two bits at any one time. Betty has turned away from window and is looking at her aunt in open-eyed wonder. The other women exclaim, Ah! Oh! No! Yes. Ladies, in the twenty-four years that we have been married, I have vainly searched through all divorce proceedings to find one wickedness that some other man possesses which my husband does not have. Pat, slightly sarcastic. At least you are still alive. Barely. May I ask the speaker a question? Pat, not liking Lily's interruption. Be brief. Lily, sweetly. Will you permit me to visit your harem? Surely all these qualities cannot belong to one lone man. Enter Bob Spink, down center. Stands in doorway, grinning, overcome with embarrassment. The women turn at the creak of door. A look of terror overspreads their faces. Bob fairly beams on them. Pardon intrusion. Ladies, I didn't know my wife had company. Glad to meet you, ladies. Bows awkwardly, right and left, still smiling amiably. Bob Spink, you knew the Wives' Welfare Club was to meet here this afternoon. Bob, with embarrassed laugh. Clean slip my mind, my love. Ladies will forgive the intrusion. So sorry. 
Too bad. Effaces himself, draws door together softly. Women look at each other, then at Jane for explanation. Jane, equal to the occasion. Wouldn't you think his wings were about to sprout? Put on, my dears. All put on before you. Ladies, we must take some action before the meeting adjourns. What do you propose to do to these men? I move a strike. Everybody terrified. Cries of strike. Oh, Betty alone maintains her poise. I move that we walk out of our husbands' houses this very night and never return until they accede to our demands. But I haven't any demands. Jane, with withering scorn. Then fake some. We must not act with undue haste. Do not lose sight of the fact that we are dependent on these creatures. Yura empties purse. <gasps> and I've only five cents car fare. Jane, with asperity. Question. Pat, resignedly. Ladies, it is moved that we go on strike. Do I hear a second? I second the motion. You can't second your own motion. I make the motion. Pat, bitingly. You mean you second it? Shisha, with a nod of assent. Uh-huh. It has been moved and seconded that the Wives' Welfare Club go on strike. The question is before the house for discussion. Betty goes down to left of Pat. I presume there is sufficient money in the treasury to support the strikers? Mrs. Treasurer, how much money do we have? Yura goes down to Pat's right, looks in her book. Forty-nine cents. General consternation. I suggest that Jane withdraw her motion and we delegate one of our members to go on strike and make this a test case. Fine. Fine. If we all walked out, we might force our husbands to some concerted action. The success of one will mean the success of all. How? I withdraw my motion. It will be a club to hold over our husbands' heads. We can get some idea of just how far we can go with these slave drivers. Yura, aside to ladies to her right. Rest of us. Aloud. I move that our noble president, Pat Dugan, be given the honor to become the first wife on strike in this land of the brave and home of the free. Pat, scared. Heavens! You don't know what you are asking! Tom is on the fence about buying me a set of marabou. The slightest jar might be fatal. Besides, ladies, I am modest. I do not deserve such an honor. Perhaps someone will volunteer for this enviable position. Dead silence. Let Pat appoint the striker. Then you, Mrs. Nutt. No, I'm sure John would think it's some practical joke. Traveling salesmen always see the funny side of things. It would be just like him to try to pay me back. I'll take no chances with so many... Looks meaningly at Lily. Strike breakers about. As Jane's husband represents all the vices that the flesh of man can hold, I nominate her. But if I go on strike, I can't stay here. Where'll I go? Will the Wives' Welfare Club finance... Surely you have some relative who would gladly take you in. Glances significantly at Betty. Splendid. 
Betty, I'll come and watch over you and Thornton. Betty, not much pleased, drops on vacant chair to her left. I'm sure such a paragon as he needs watching. But you ladies understand there will be other expenses. It takes cash to blazon the road to independence. I am assured of your support. Each looks at her neighbor with a look that means no money need be expected from her. Pat, sensing the sentiment. Certainly! Moral support! Meeting adjourned. A hurried movement that prevents further discussion. General hubbub as they prepare to leave. Pat brings down Gavel as they crowd to down center. Ladies, before you go, let us give three cheers for the first wife on strike. They respond heartily. Exit all women down center, excepting Betty, Jane, and Clara. Clara to Betty. I think I'd better go too. All right, I have to stop and do some shopping for dinner. Clara to Jane. It was a most interesting afternoon. I hope we have taught you a few things. Oh, you have. Exit down center. Auntie, I can't believe it. Surely you are not serious. Indeed I am. The cook has left just once too often. But, Auntie, why blame Uncle Bob? Betty, when you've been married as long as I have, you'll know that the man is always to blame for everything. Betty tries to protest. Not another word. Run along and lay the table for three. Thornton will be terribly shocked. He's so fond of you both. Thornton's state of mind is of complete indifference to me. One word from him and I'll show him his place. Enter Bob, down center. Hello, Bessie. Not going without a glad word for Uncle Bob, are you? How's the lucky groom? Sweeter every day. Betty! Yes, I must go. I don't want to keep him waiting for dinner. Don't suppose we old folk are much of a magnet until the honeymoon wanes? Yes, you are. But our honeymoon isn't going into decline. Pish. Betty kisses Bob. Bye-bye, Uncle Bob. As she runs out. Bye-bye, Auntie. Exit down center, Bob beaming after her. Lovely child. Everybody is lovely but your own wife. Oh, my dear, you're not cross because I butted into your meeting, are you? Word of honor, it clean slipped my mind. Nice ladies, aren't they? No, they're not. A lot of old cats. Turns to husband. How dare you come home before five? You did it on purpose to let my friends know it was time for them to leave. Upon my word, never thought... No, you never think of anyone but yourself. You always get everything you ask for. What do you want now? I want a cook that will stay. But, my dear, I don't have one in my pocket. Sarcasm. Cheap sarcasm. That's your strong point. Oh, let the old cook go to... Bob Spink, you're swearing. Polly want a cracker. Bob laughs. And Jenny wants a cook. Never mind, old girl. Let us go out to a restaurant to dinner. 
Don't call me old girl. Then young lady. Chuckles. You're trying to make up, but it's no go this time. Sakes alive. I didn't know we'd fallen out. Well, you know it now, and I've put up with you for four and twenty years. Henceforth, you can get somebody else to cook for you, wash for you, make your bed, and somebody to... Now, Jane, you know I wouldn't be untrue to you. I don't care what you do. I'm on strike. On strike? Everybody else in the country is on strike. Why not the wives? The whole world is demanding greater freedom. Bob mildly. The ladies don't want greater freedom of speech, do they, love? Don't try to be witty. We wives are going to walk out and we'll stay out until you men accede to our demands. What demands? Jane nonplussed, then giving the usual feminine answer when cornered. You think you're smart, don't you? I quit the job. Grabs parrot cage and rushes out, knocking over a couple of chairs. I'm on strike. I'm on strike. Exit down center. Bob looks after her, chuckles, and shakes his head. Poor Jane. Glances around at the disorder. Chairs bunched. Remains of lunch on every available place. Whew. Shakes his head. It sure is hell when the cook goes on strike. Begins to clear away the tea things, whistling the Marseillaise out of tune. <laughs> Curtain. End of Act One. Act Two of Wives on Strike by Lillian Sutton Paley. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Scene. Dining room in Betty and Thornton's bungalow. It is cheery and dainty with its gaily colored chintz curtains. All the furniture except an overstuffed rocking chair is made out of boxes, painted and attractively decorated. There is a small sideboard, down right, with pretty china that blends in with the color scheme. A comfortable rocker, down left. The table, right center, is made of two wide boards crossed, covered with embroidered runners. In the center, a bowl of flowers. At each wing of table is a chair. In the rear, flat, right of center, is a door leading to kitchen. This door is now ajar, and a gas stove is plainly visible. Left of center are French doors leading to street. Door at left leads to bedroom. Door at right opens into back garden. Chair left of kitchen door. Also one down right corner near sideboard. Window down left. Fireplace between door and window, with divan in front of it. Clock on mantel. As the curtain rises, Thornton is heard whistling outside door left center. Enter Thornton, door left center, in high spirits. Thornton, as he enters. Hello there, wifey. 
throws hat on divan left, coat on chair left of table, and paper on table. His quickness shows that he is energetic, calls, Sweetheart! Makes for kitchen and is confronted by the cold gas stove, starts back disappointed. How's this? No dinner on? Runs over to door left, a trifle annoyed. Say, Betty, do you know what time it is? Opens door, peeks in, slowly. Where the dickens? Glances toward door right, laughs. I have it. Picking fresh flowers for the table. Dear sentimental girl. As he runs out, door right, leaving it ajar. Here there, Betty. More beefsteak and less roses. Enter Betty, door left center, hurriedly, laden with parcels, sees Thornton's hat and the open door right. Betty, disappointed. Oh, pshaw, he's here first. Isn't that too bad? Drops parcels on table and runs to door right. Thornton, sweetheart, did I keep you waiting long? Enter Thornton, door right. Betty throws arms around his neck and kisses him. Dear old widower. Betty, where have you been? Crosses to left center. I'm famished. Don't you remember? I told you I promised Auntie to help her serve tea at the Wives' Welfare Club. Laughs. That was the funniest meeting. Thornton doesn't hear what she is saying. If you think a cold gas stove is a warm reception to a hungry man, you're off your top. Betty pats his face. He sulks. Poor starved, abused husband. Runs into kitchen, door, right center, turns on faucet, and fills tea kettle while she lights the top oven of range. The pots will be boiling in a second, and everything is ready to pop right into the oven. Goes to table. Thornton picks up paper savagely, opens it as if about to read, grumbles. Canned food tonight, I suppose. Betty laughs merrily. No surrey, nothing doing. Canned goods have broken up many a happy family. Removes parcels to sideboard. Fixed everything before I left. You sit over there in that easy chair and read your paper. Thornton throws down paper. Already read it. Coming out on the car? That's bad for the eyes. Then help me set the table. Hands him coat. Thornton takes it and throws it down on divan. I'll be blammed. Betty looks surprised. Look here, Betty. You think I'm going to work like a slave all day and come home and set tables? I thought after bending over drawing so many hours you might like the exercise, but if you're tired, sit down, honey. Drop that rocker and I'll tell you all about that funny meeting. It was better than any play. Thornton throws himself savagely in rocking chair left and begins to read paper. Betty whips off runners from the table, folds them, and replaces them with plain linen ones. She takes silver and dishes from sideboard and sets the table for three. Thornton, furtively watching her. Who's the third person? Oh, Thornton, I'm not quite sure if the end of the play was a comedy or a tragedy. The end of this one will be a tragedy if that dinner doesn't get here pretty soon. Betty laughs, then becomes serious. But no joke, Thornton. Aunt Jane has left Uncle Bob. Isn't that dreadful? 
nonsense that aunt of yours have been threatening to leave ever since i've known her where would she go i'd like to know she's coming here thornton jumps up excitedly here yes to stay stay not much maybe she won't stay long maybe <laughs> you can bet your brand new hat she won't but thornton no you can't talk to me i won't have it won't have it i'll quit the house goodness goodness don't get so excited how could i tell her not to come after i've spent my whole life in their home thornton drops into chair again that's what we get for placing ourselves under obligations damn it betty coyly you swore that's the first time i ever heard you swear it won't be the last if that aunt of yours camps on us long betty laughs and whispers i thought damn myself betty oh but i didn't say it becomes serious anyway dearest we must make the best of it and besides to be under your influence will do aunt jane a world of good thornton's pride responds she'll leave this house with an entirely new idea of husbands goes into kitchen thornton between his teeth bet your sweet life she will betty returning with baking dish see that lovely meatloaf now into the oven with you and already in ten minutes puts meat in oven call that a dinner hash betty disappointed why thornton the last time i made it you said to repeat the dose at least twice a week it's braised with carrots and onions and all sorts of good things regaining her spirits i'm going to turn the salad in here while i tell you how aunt jane happened to go on strike brings big bowl to table also salad basket full of lettuce oil lemon salt pepper and a clove of garlic she rubs the garlic around the bowl prepares dressing gives salad a few shakes and empties it into the bowl and turns it on strike at first they voted that all the wives should go on strike wives on strike that's rich suckling babes will start a union next and the fool men gave these creatures the vote fool men idiots i told them they were crazy but they wouldn't believe me thornton albright do you mean you didn't vote for woman suffrage suffrage for a bunch of nuts but thornton there's a certain percentage of fools among men too the males don't have a monopoly on intelligence don't you think i know enough to vote i'll do your voting but i don't want any man to do my betty i'm starved will you hurry up that dinner betty mystified as she goes and looks in the oven and to think of the way he praised my campaign speeches didn't think i was going to take a chance on losing out just because of a little hot air did you betty comes back and walks about a bit dazed as if she were trying to think what next to do these women that go around roasting their husbands to everybody who will lend them an ear ought to be tarred and feathered and rode out of town on a rail betty still going round in a circle 
to herself. And to think he didn't even vote for us. Here I thought we were going to have a nice cozy dinner with Reynold and... Betty, waking up. Is Reynolds coming to dinner again today? Remembers it is the teapot she is looking for, gets it off the sideboard. I forgot to tell you. Set another plate. I wish you wouldn't invite him here so often. You don't expect me to give up all my pals just because I'm married, do you? But, Thornton, that boy annoys me to death with his lovemaking. He doesn't seem to realize that I'm married. I should think you'd be jealous. Jealous of a kid like him? I'm not quite off my head yet. I know he doesn't mean any harm, but it's what other people think. Lily de Longpore was at the meeting this afternoon. Thornton eagerly. Oh, was Lily there? Betty not quite liking his enthusiasm, peevishly. Yes, she was there, and she insinuated that I was carrying on with Reynolds. Thornton laughs. Imagination! Ha! You've got a wonderful imagination. Lily's a nice little thing. Betty snaps. Yes, of the feline species. Gee, I believe you're jealous. It'll not be through any fault of hers if I'm not. She'll never forgive me for rescuing you from her. Rescuing? That's great. Reynold heard whistling ragtime off stage. That's Reynold now. Runs to door left center, opens it. Hello, Rennie. Betty goes into kitchen. Reynold outside. Hello there, Thorny. Thornton returns to right center. Enter Reynold, door left center. Where is La Belle Betty? Thornton points to kitchen. Reynold runs over to door. Ah, uh, what a lovely domestic picture. Turns to Thornton with mock gravity. Curses on you. Thornton laughs. Ha! If you'd entered here ten minutes ago and found no kettle boiling, no meat sizzling, no wife at home, you'd be thankful that you're not entrapped. Betty flounces out of kitchen. Reynold is center, Betty right center. Entrapped. I like that. Look here, Reynold Winburn. I want you to stop running around telling everybody that you came near drowning yourself when I married Thornton. Thornton laughs. You needn't laugh. It's no joke. Oh, but I did, until Thornton suggested a triangle. You little snip! Turns on Thornton. And as for you, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Think I want a wife that nobody else wants? Betty flounces out into kitchen again, throws down something. Thornton laughs at sound, then slaps Reynold on the shoulder. <laughs> she takes you seriously. She's caught the big idea. You beat me to her, most masterful man. But I'm going to make her see yet what she has lost. You're refreshing. And persistent. But everything fair and above board. No gumshoe methods for your uncle, Rennie. <laughs> keep it up, lad. You're amusing. Oh, I'll keep it up all right, all right. Uh, say, whom do you think I came near running over down the street? Haven't the remotest idea. Your old flame, Lily, the firebrand. She looked like she would like a lift, but I thought walking would do her good. 
She's on her way here with a torch alight to singe your household gods. I can't see what you and Betty have against poor Lily. She's a charming girl. Yes, professional charmer. Bell rings. Enter Betty from kitchen. That's Aunt Jane now. Open the door, Reynolds. You may as well do something to earn your board. Puts celery and other things on table. Reynolds opens door left center. Enter Lily, door left center. Oh! Casting significant glance at Reynolds and Betty. You here? Told you I would be, didn't I? Goes right and helps Betty arrange table. Did you? I forgot. Lily's forgettery is always working overtime. Thought I'd run in a minute, Betty, and talk over the meeting. Glances at table. But I see I'm too early. I thought you dined at six. I know Thornton has always been accustomed to an early dinner. It's nearly seven. Betty, glancing at clock. Decidedly. It is just ten minutes to six. Indeed. My watch must be fast. Looks at wristwatch. Better be careful, Lily. It's risky for a girl to have anything fast about her. Lily to Betty. I suppose you had to stop and get some chops. Club women always feed their families on chops and potato chips. Betty angrily. I stopped to get some fruit. I remember now. You are a raw food advocate. Thornton cordially. You'll stay to dinner, of course. Our table seats just four. Lily to Betty. If you insist. Oh, if you have any other engagement. But I haven't. It will be like old times. You and Reynold, and Thornton and I. Toss his hat on chair near sideboard. A quadrangle is more interesting than a triangle. Lily elevates her brows and looks pityingly at Thornton. Reynold, open some canned soup for Betty. Yes, do. Sarcastically. I didn't anticipate a dinner party. Poor Thornton. I hope you haven't come to canned soups. Betty, aside to Reynold. Cat. Lily, to Thornton. I know how you always doted on fresh things. Yes, Thornton has a weakness for the fresh. He gives Betty a knowing glance as he nods toward Lily. Exit Reynold and Betty into kitchen. Lily approaching Thornton seductively. Well, Thornton, how are you anyway? I could take a little nourishment. It surprised me to see Betty going in for club work so soon. You're not more surprised than I. Betty has been such a little home bird. Yes. Betty has always used domesticity as a drawing card. It would be rather a good joke on you, Thornton, to find yourself hitched for life to a feminist. I don't believe Betty's quite so bad as that. She's a natural home builder. She made almost every stick of furniture in this room. What? You're joking. How? Out of old packing boxes. She spent the whole year before we were married making them at the night school. Clever girl. Thornton, proudly. Yes, very ingenious. 
it would never have occurred to me to make out of the latest furniture fare a hook to catch a husband thornton impressed letting her words sink in slowly gee i never thought of that lily with meaning no you wouldn't you're so honest thornton angrily if i thought don't husbands were not made to think speaking of husbands you should have heard the way they were fried to a crisp by the wives welfare club this afternoon i'm surprised they permitted a bachelor maid they weren't exactly overjoyed but i was determined the poor husband should have some representation you know all males were verboten who were the bunch anyone i know i should say so pat dugan the clothes horse you're a lamb of angelic disposition and carrying a ton of adipose tissue lily always laughs at thornton's witticisms that is one reason he likes her she shall not the court fool the child nearly caused a riot then there was thornton sniffing with disdain huh. and of course they discussed the latest scientific method of populating the world and all such claptrap lily shaking her finger at him naughty ah, the idea of betty getting mixed up with a bunch of nuts like that drops into rocking chair lily draws a chair close to him and sits i felt it my duty to let you know the name wives welfare club would lead a person to think it was some harmless society but it is revolutionary revolutionary yes they are sworn to overthrow the government of man good lord they're anarchists regular bolshevists what did betty think of all that nonsense i leave that to you she didn't tell me lily knowingly but she showed the stand she takes by inviting her aunt to come and stay here you know her aunt jane was the one chosen to go on strike to make a test case and you say betty sympathized with these women in their stupidity i don't wish to say anything against betty thornton never shall it be said that i did anything to a strange man and wife thornton drops his hand on her hand that rests on the arm of his chair you're a good girl lily lily snuggling goodness counts for so little with you men oh yes it does in the long run lily laying her other hand over his and looking at him sympathetically oh thornton i'm afraid you're not happy enter reynold from kitchen wearing bungalow apron sees familiar attitude of thornton and lily he coughs but they are too absorbed in each other to notice betty is about to come in from kitchen reynold jumps back and forth indoor to prevent her seeing them she can't understand his reason for such crazy actions finally losing patience she gives him a push left which causes him almost to lose his balance betty stands a moment looking at thornton and lily he is listening with much pleasure to lily who is exploiting her sexual attraction to the limit betty snaps out dinner is ready 
Lily keeps on talking with much animation to Thornton. Both are oblivious of Betty's presence. Oh, boy! Betty turns to Reynold. Get a megaphone? Otto Horn heard off stage. That's Aunt Jane now. Angrily to Thornton. Thornton, perhaps Lily could manage to exist alone long enough for you to open the door. Gets Trey holding covered tureen of soup from kitchen. Returns, sets tureen on table. Reynolds takes the tray. I won't. Goes to extreme right. Lily sweetly. I will, dear. Opens door left center. Bob Spink stands in door with broad grin on his face. Am I too late for dinner? Thornton relieved. I should say not. Come right in, Uncle Bob. Enter Bob, door left center. But where is Auntie? Sorry, but I can't give you the exact information. Cafeterias are her favorite sport. They're too swift for me. Lily laughs. Cafeterias swift? Remains left of Bob. Reynolds stands next to Bob, listening and holding tray. Here, young man, give me that tray and I'll show you what happened the last time I ate in one. Grabs tray and begins to whistle ragtime. He never gets a tune quite right. Reynolds catches the idea and whistles it correctly, while Bob gives his whole attention to balancing the tray and stepping to the ragtime. He is very ludicrous and finally pretends to empty the contents of Trey down Lily's back. She screams and goes down left. Everybody laughs but Bob. And the lady threatened to sue me if I didn't fork over for a brand new dress. It didn't have more than two yards of goods in it, but it cost a cool hundred. No more jazz cafes for your Uncle Bob but we have been expecting Aunt Jane every minute. Bob, scared. Here? That's what I said. Here. Oh, my dear. I don't think she had better see me. Not until she had her dinner, anyway. But how about your dinner? Uh, just give me a snack in there. Points to door left. I'm sure it will be safer. Poor Uncle Bob. Bell rings. That's her now. Don't let on I'm here. Exits quickly. Door left. Reynold opens door left center. Clara, on seeing him, stops, embarrassed. She carries a covered plate in her hand. Oh, Mr. Winburn, I didn't know you were here. I'm jolly glad to see you. How do you think I look as a domestic animal? Flops apron. Clara laughs. Oh, so funny. Come in, Clara, and see what a handyman Reynolds is about the house. Clara, embarrassed. Thanks, but I can't stay. I didn't know you had company. Mother made a cake this afternoon and sent some over. Enter Clara, door left center. Your mother's cake is the best ever. Reynolds and Lily are such old friends. We don't consider them company. Lily, with a significant smile at Betty. No, indeed. Reynolds is just like a brother. 
Betty shoots an angry glance at Lily, then turns smiling on Clara. I'll have to hang you on the chandelier, Clara, but you're welcome. Yes, do stay. Bob peeps in at door left. Wasn't it her? Bell rings again. He jumps back into room, slamming door. Good night. Betty opens door left center. It's only those bad boys who live down the street. They're always ringing people's bells. Closes door and goes over to table. Reynolds to Clara. Don't go. Nods toward bedroom. Aren't you interested in seeing how this strike will end? Clara, with a shy glance, hands plate to Reynolds. I'd like to stay, but Mother is expecting me. Maybe you can come back later. Clara looks up at Reynolds inquiringly. Reynolds to Clara. You didn't forget about our engagement this evening, did you? No, but if you're busy, I don't mind not going. Rennie told me he had asked you to go to the theater tonight. I thought he might as well have dinner with us. Will you be ready about eight? If you wish. Goodbye. Goodbye, Clara. Thanks for the cake. Oh, you're welcome. Withdraws, casting a last shy glance at Reynold, who nods pleasantly. Exit, door left center. There isn't any use for us to wait any longer for Aunt Jane. The soup will be stone cold. You sit there, Lily. Points to front wing of table. Lily goes to chair. Thornton, you here? Touches left wing. Thornton takes place beside it. Don't be formal. Sit down. Thornton and Lily sit. Reynolds, I'm glad you are going to take Clara to the theater. Touches wing at back. Aunt Jane here. Motions to right wing. And you? Nods to Reynolds. There. Reynolds not going to table. Clara has a corking disposition. Appreciates every little thing a fellow does. Lily, sarcastically. Isn't it strange the girls who have the best dispositions remain single as a rule? Not throwing any bouquets at yourself, are you, Lily? To Betty. Where are you going to sit? There's only room for four, so I'll wait. Reynold brings another chair. I'll squeeze in here between Lily and Thornton. Sits at junction of two wings. Lily looks annoyed and moves her chair a bit too right. All right. Takes up another soup plate from sideboard. Thornton crossly. Silly making a crazy table like this. When we saw that one at the exposition, you thought it was the cutest idea. Oh, the shape is all right, but there's not enough room. You wanted me to make it just big enough for two. Did you, Thornton? Shakes her finger at him teasingly. Reynold almost bites it off. Oh, quit. Thornton, ashamed. Certainly not. Betty puts soup plate back on sideboard. It is too crowded. You come over here, Reynolds. Reynold protests. Please don't argue. Reynold takes seat at right wing. Aunt Jane has probably changed her mind about coming. I'll sit here. Sits at back of table. Door left center opens. Jane stoops and takes up big hat box that she has set down to open the door. Enter Jane, door left center. Stands red and perspiring, puffing and panting, holding the hat box in one hand, 
the parrot cage in the other, and a stuffed carryall partially concealing the parrot. Polly want a cracker. Everybody turns at sound. Thornton mutters. Good Lord. Betty starts toward Jane. Oh, Auntie, why didn't you get a boy to help you with your luggage? Jane, in voice of thunder. I want no favor from any man. Is dinner ready? Yes. We had about given you up. Thornton, take this parrot. To hell with the men. I'm on strike. Everybody but Thornton and Jane laugh. Thornton refuses to move. Betty takes parrot. I'll set it here until after dinner. Puts cage on small table up center. The fern leaves partially conceal it. Reynold takes Jane's hat box and deposits it on chair near kitchen. Jane tosses her carryall on top of Thornton's hat, which is on the divan left, smashing hat flat. Thornton starts up angrily. That's my hat. What's a hat at a time like this? Takes her own hat off hurriedly and tosses it on top of carryall. Thornton goes over and takes his hat from under carryall and tries to restore it to form, places it on rocker left. He is mad through and through. Jane drops in his seat at the table. Thornton turns and sees her in his place. You're in my place. Goes to table. I'm down now, and I'm not going to move. Here, take my place, Thornton. Thornton goes to back of table, then turns to Betty. But where'll you sit? Oh, I'll serve. Betty, stay where you are. You have had a strenuous afternoon. Thornton can eat off the mantle. Thornton pouts, and Betty pushes him down into her seat. Reynold jumps up. Say, let me serve. It'll be a lot of fun. No, stay where you are. Jane tastes soup. What delicious soup! Thornton glares. Can't. Tastes it, makes a wry face. Dishwater. Pushes it from him. Jane severely. Thornton, canned soups are made in places far more sanitary than the average kitchen. It is both nourishing and economical. Economical? Then it has no place in our home. The last time you were at our house, you said you didn't see how Betty could make your wages stretch such a long way round. You're trying to change the subject, young man. Bob puts his head in door and listens. But I'll have you know that I never saw the man yet that could switch me from my argument. Bob nods acquiescence. Canned soups conserve the energy of wives who are forced to do their own cooking. I'm on strike. Everybody but Thornton laughs. Shut up. Rises and strides over to rocking chair. Lily, sweetly. I suppose I am old-fashioned, but the preparation of savory food for our loved ones seems to me a delightful privilege. Thornton beams across the room at her. Such sentiments do you honor. Betty rises, bangs the soup plates together, to Lily. You must have changed your mind since we went to college together. When I took up domestic science, you said you wouldn't cook a meal for the best man alive. Down one. Rises and follows Betty to kitchen. 
I'll bring the roast. We have had the roast. Do you mean me, young man? I'm on strike. Thornton twists the newspaper and throws it at the bird. Shut up! Jane to Thornton. Sit down. Thornton sits on his hat, feels it under him, and rises furious. The others laugh. Thornton returns to the table and begins to eat the celery. Reynold comes from the kitchen carrying a well-filled plate of food. Betty carries platter with meatloaf and vegetables, which have previously been arranged, ready to serve. She whispers to Reynold and nods toward door left. Bob is peeking out, exhibiting great satisfaction at sight of food. As Reynolds starts toward bedroom, Jane turns, looks up. Bob quickly withdraws. Jane to Reynolds. Where are you going? Reynolds at first tries to hide plate behind him, but at sight of Jane's astonishment, he stutteringly explains. I, I, I thought the, the parrot might, might be hungry. But he can't eat all that. Reynolds laughs with embarrassment. I thought I'd keep him company. Jane returns to table, satisfied with explanation. So considerate. What a lovely girl he would have made. Reynold doesn't like this, but it amuses Thornton. Reynold quickly goes over and shoves plate into outstretched hand of Bob, who closes door softly, goes back to Bird. Betty has put platter in front of Thornton. Pretty Polly! Dodges into kitchen. To hell with the man! Thornton thaws a bit at sight of food. I'm surprised, Aunt Jane, at your keeping a profane bird. You men relieve your feelings yourselves. We women have to relieve ours by proxy. Thornton to Lily. May I offer you some? Sarcastically. Hash? Lily passes plate. Betty, is that meatloaf made after my recipe? Yes, Aunt. Jane, severely. Thornton, you said that meatloaf was the best thing you ever tasted. Were those your pre-marriage manners? Thornton serves himself and begins to eat. Betty is shocked and motions him to serve Jane, but he stubbornly shakes his head. Aunt Jane, help yourself. Jane does so. Enter Reynold from kitchen, carrying dish of cornbread. Reynold, putting cornbread in front of Thornton. We nearly forgot the piece de resistance. Cornbread. Thornton takes up piece and weighs it in his hand. Did you say pound bread? Betty, hurt. Thornton, you seem to forget that I specialized in domestic science. This bread is as light as a feather. Betty goes into kitchen. They all eat in a different manner. Lily toys with her food fastidiously, as if the flavor was not quite to her liking. Reynold and Jane eat with great gusto. And Thornton tries to keep from eating, but his appetite gets the better of him. Thorny, if I had a wife that could make cornbread like this, I'd be so tame I'd eat out of her hand. Enter Betty from kitchen with pie and takes it to sideboard. Lily glances from him to Betty, then knowingly at Thornton. Thornton's face is toward audience, and it reflects each one of Lily's expressions. No doubt you would. 
Thornton throws down napkin annoyed. You're getting too fresh around here. I told you I was going to be. Thornton, aren't you going to have some salad? You always say no meal is complete without salad. Takes bowl of salad from sideboard and puts it on table. Thornton, cynically. You don't call this a meal, do you? A fine mixture for a person who pretends to be a dietitian. There is nothing about this meal that could possibly injure a healthy person. Certainly no one here looks much like an invalid. Not now, but we soon will be if we have to live on this sort of grub. Betty, is this the angel husband you flung in our faces all afternoon? If your Uncle Bob grumbled about my cooking as he does about yours, I'd... I'm on strike. Thornton starts toward Bird. I'll strangle that devilish bird. Jane, grabbing his coat-tail. If you touch my parrot, I'll have you arrested for assault and battery. Others rise. Thornton yells. You and your bird can go to... Thornton. Thornton Albright, you may bully your wife, but you can't bully me. If you think you're going to come here and break up my home, you're off your trolley. Break up your home? Hum! Ha! If there is any homebreaker around, it certainly isn't Aunt Jane. Glares at Lily, who tosses her head. And I'll let you know, you can't insult my guest. You're not dealing with soft-hearted Uncle Bob this time old lady goes left jane taken aback old lady how dare you bring his name into this if he were here he'd show you where to get off with pride bob spink is a gentleman turns toward table bob has been peering out listening chuckles to himself comes out quickly and jerks open door left center as if he had just entered here here what's all this row i heard you way down the street takes center jane stands a moment surprised bob oh bob thank heaven throws herself into his arms breaks down i want to go home i was never so insulted in all my life bob holds her head tight against his breast winks at Thornton, but speaks with great fierceness. Young man, I will see you again. With much solicitude. Poor abused Jenny. Get your hat, dearie. Jane takes up hat from Divan and jams it on her head askew. Bob puts his arm around her waist with mock concern and leads her to door left center, turns to Thornton again and winks, roars, Yes, again, soon. I'm on strike. Oh, shut up! Exits quickly, door left center. Bob casts a mischievous glance backward to Thornton as he follows her. Betty, go center to Thornton. You've insulted her. Do you take her part against me? She is older than we. Thornton to Lily. Lily, I leave it to you. Do you think that old termagant had a right to perch herself 
On us? You are speaking of my aunt. Please don't ask me, Thornton. Betty and I never saw with the same eyes. Oh, yes, we did, when I was half blind, but my vision is clearing. Lily scenting a storm. I really must be going. I forgot I have an invitation to a box party. Gets on her hat. Reynolds, run Lily over in your car. Lily, as she opens door left center and steps outside. That will be fine, Reynolds. Good night, Thornton. <sighs> Good night, Lily. Come again. Thanks. I will. Good night, Betty dear. Exit door left center. Betty, as Reynold makes gesture of protest, Do as I tell you. Goes to door right. I want to get a breath of air. Exit door right. Reynold goes down confidentially to Thornton. She's mad, Thorny. Never saw that look in her eye before. You've gone a bit too far this time. Better be careful. I don't need any lessons from a whippersnapper like you. Crosses to right. Reynold seriously. Thorny old boy, you're both my, well, my world. Don't forget that. Don't. Thornton pats his shoulder. I won't, boy. You're a good scout. Exit Reynold, door left center. Enter Betty, door right. Thornton goes back to left. This is certainly the end of a perfect day. Dinner party broken up before dessert. Betty, giving him a sharp look. We'll have our desserts now. Thornton, a bit afraid. That's good. Pie? Betty, with cutting sarcasm. Do you think the crust will suit you? Thornton, with great amiability. Uh, your crust always suits me. Goes to table. Then I'll give you your pie. She takes pie from sideboard and cuts it. Aren't you going to have any? Sits back of table and eats pie. Betty moves left, away from table. No, I've had mine. Too much sweetness isn't healthful. Wanders about, handling things without seeing them, settling in her mind her mode of action. For the Lord's sake, sit down. You give me the jimmies. Betty takes center and stands still. I'm rather glad I went to that meeting today. That's it. That infernal club started all this row. They're a bunch of nuts. You're quite right. Thornton rises and starts toward her. There. That's my own girl talking. Betty waves him off. Yes. To use your elegant term, they're nuts. They want to shift their responsibilities on someone else's shoulders. Thornton, with a grieved air. Yes, on mine. Drops in chair at left wing of table. But when it comes to my aunt... Thornton rises. That's it, your aunt. She started all this trouble. Betty smiles. And who else? Thornton, feeling abused. Your aunt ought to have enough sense to know I can't support her. The responsibility of a wife is enough for a young man's shoulders. Takes chair at front of table and turns it so he faces audience. Sits. Too much. Thornton, lordly, as he stretches himself. No, oh 
Not when she conserves the resources. Betty looks at him a moment before speaking. Strange, but during our courtship it never occurred to me to ask you about your ideas of the duty of a wife. Thornton, laughing rather importantly. <laughs> My ideas of the duty of a wife? Tips back in his chair. Well, I'm clear on that point. Betty, meaningly. I'm sure you are. Thornton, glad of chance to air his views. First, a woman's place is in the home. He says this as if he had discovered the phrase, Betty, mildly. All the time? I don't get you. You believe whenever a man comes home, he should find his wife waiting? You got it. But suppose she shouldn't be waiting. Always. Thornton, with self-confidence. Oh, but if she loves him, she will be. Betty smiles. Oh, I see. Sweetly, without raising her voice. And in case she happened not to be waiting, her husband should raise a hell of a row. Why, Betty! And the wife should cheerfully entertain all his friends and ancient amourettes, while he reserves the right to insult the ones that are dear to her. Thornton, excusing himself. Aunt Jane is not your friend. She's your aunt. He says this facetiously, trying to make her think it funny, but she remains inflexible, much to his discomfort. Yes, she's my aunt. She is the person who took me in when I was left an orphan and sent me through school. Do you know why I specialized in domestic science? To be a good wife to some man, I suppose. Betty smiles. What a masculine answer. But I didn't. It was because I wanted to be capable to earn my own living. That is why I chose a profession that is always in demand. But we were discussing the duties of wifehood. Thornton, rising. Don't let us say anything more about it, dear. You agree with me. I know. And one of the wife's duties is to listen with a lamb-like docility to her husband's grumbling and growling? Thornton, self-pityingly. I don't see what's the use of being married if a fellow can't be natural in his own home. Puts his hands in pockets and strides over to left corner. And by being natural, you mean the release of all self-restraint? The right to let loose all the badness in you? Why, Thornton Albright, you don't want mutual friendship, mutual love, mutual helpfulness. You want a bound slave who gives and gives and humbly accepts what her master's whims may offer. You're behind the times, dear man. The Emancipation Proclamation, freeing all slaves, was published by Abraham Lincoln January 1st, 1863. I don't need any lesson in American history, nor have I any desire to be a slaveholder. No? Then if it's the present system of hiring servants that you advocate, you are still behind the times. For the workers today demand short hours, good pay, and fair treatment. I want a wife, not a servant. Yes, you want a wife to boss. 
I regret that after one month's trial, I cannot qualify. So I quit the job. Oh, oh, that's rich. Crosses to right. You've got the strike bug, too. Why, my dear, you fell out of college into my arms. I've no desire to see my wife starve. If you think a scientifically trained housekeeper and dietitian is going to starve, you certainly don't read the want ads. I'll prove to you that I shall be more in demand in my new position than in the one I'm quitting. Great Scott, Betty! You're not serious! Both serious and determined. Thornton disappointed. Then you don't love me any more? Yes, I do. And I'll make you not only love, but respect me as well. Not respect you? Oh, come now, that's too much. Coming toward her. In spite of all you say, I found out today that in your eyes, a wife is an employee, first of all, a person to attend to your wants. Very well, then if marriage is a business deal, I demand the same consideration that exists between boss and man. What do you know about the relations of employer and employee? I know that the strike is a modern weapon of protest, and I intend to use that weapon to get what I want. Thornton, badly frightened. Then you're going to give me up? No. But I'm going to walk out until you give up the tradition of man's superiority to woman. That's no tradition. It's a fact. Very well. Prove that you are my superior in fighting the battle of life. Exits hastily, door left. Thornton looks after her, astonished, then chuckles to himself, takes a cigar out of his pocket, bites off the end, lights it, sits in rocker and prepares to enjoy himself, looks quizzically toward door and calls. Betty. No answer. Takes another puff or two. Betty? Looks rather surprised, rises, and goes to door left, looks into room. Oh, I say, come now, Betty. Don't pack up. If anybody's got to go, let it be me. Throws away cigar. Betty closes door left. Thornton shakes his head in a troubled manner, puts on his hat and coat, takes some banknotes from his pocket, glances toward the closed door, then takes out notebook and writes, goes to table, and puts the money down with the note, looks for weight to hold them down, sets a salt shaker on them, then decides on the sugar bowl instead. While doing this, his eyes take in the untouched food. He remembers he hasn't finished his dinner and is still hungry. He cuts the meatloaf. Calls. Where do you keep the wrapping paper? No answer. He takes the slice of meatloaf and a piece of pie and exits into kitchen. Enter Betty, door left, wearing coat, hat, and carrying a handbag. She notices that Thornton's coat and hat are gone. As she glances toward table, observes the note and money. She sets her bag down near door left center, goes to table, picks up money and note, reads note, and tosses the money indifferently onto the table. Then her eyes fall on the meatloaf. She remembers she hasn't had any dinner. Picks up a slice of meat and a piece of pie, saunters away from table over toward fireplace. Just as she is taking a bite of pie, Thornton comes to kitchen door 
eating the pie with one hand and holding the package of meatloaf in the other. Betty turns at the sound. They gaze at each other astonished, each with the pie in their mouth. Thornton drops the food and bolts out of door right. Betty also drops food and rushes for door left center. Grabbing handbag, makes a hasty exit. Curtain. End of Act Two. Act Three of Wives on Strike by Lillian Sutton Paley. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Scene. Reception room in Betty's Diet Kitchen, about 6.30 p.m., six weeks later. Upright, a window faces the street, on which is painted in bold letters, Betty's Diet Kitchen. The reverse side of the letters showing. Farther down right is a door leading to street. Another door at left leads into the private dining room. French doors up center. When open, the main dining room is plainly seen. At left of center door is a desk with chair on which are stacked menus of different colors. Left of desk is an armchair. To right of center door, a settee is placed across corner of room. Table with Boston fern at front of window. Down right is another armchair. Down left is a tete-a-tete. Wicker furniture with bright pillows and cushions as desired. All the woodwork is of light color and a pleasing color scheme gives a sense of harmony. Discovered. Betty talking to Clara, who is busy arranging the menu cards. But, Betty, some of the patrons don't want to take the health menus you prescribe. If these people place themselves under my care to be cured, they must follow my orders. If they don't want to do so, there are plenty of other restaurants where they can mix any death-dealing combination of food, and where they can stuff themselves until they haven't energy enough to either move or think. It is because the food is so good that it is hard for them to diet. A lot of them come for curiosity, just to see if Thornton and I will make up. They do gossip considerably, but I wouldn't mind if I were you. I suppose it does look queer for Thornton to eat here all the time when we are not living together. But what could I do? This is a public restaurant. Clara looks observantly at Betty. Mr. Albright says it is the best in the city. Betty tosses her head. How gracious of him. Clara, glancing out of window. There come Mrs. Lamb and her husband. Betty, also glancing out. Oh, the lion and the lamb. He doesn't act a bit like I thought a caveman would act. Betty, smiling. No? Well, you see, honey, a public restaurant isn't exactly the place for a barbarian to show off to advantage. Then you really think he is so bad? Betty, seriously. One can never tell. Better be careful not to arouse him. Enter, you're a lamb, door right, you're in doorway to her husband, who stops outside, his face almost against window, staring at Betty's sign. Come on in. What are you staring at, Jim? Enter Jim Lamb, door right. I was only trying to decipher some cryptic significance in Mrs. Albright's semiography, my dear. The words Betty's Diet Kitchen are epigraphic. I quite understand, but there must be some hidden 
gracious me that man can't even read a simple sign without trying to find out some hidden meaning jim has walked over to window and is still gazing at reverse side of sign come away from there angrily drags him from window but he keeps looking back wrinkling his brow and talking to himself as if deciphering some hieroglyph betty advances shakes hands with yura crosses and extends her hand to jim who doesn't see it so absorbed is he yura shouts jim he jumps looks about frightened sees betty's outstretched hand lets his drop into it but with no warmth of response and goes on thinking out his problem betty i want to talk to you a minute before the rush arrives jim he is again buried in thought jim he takes out pencil and pad and begins to write yura grabs hold of his arm and he arouses with a start she drags him center and gives him a push toward desk where clara stands waiting get the menus and go in and order the dinner do you remember the numbers jim dazed uh, uh, numbers yes decidedly numbers two and ten oh uh, yes uh, two uh, mind stimulation uh, two stimulation uh, um two mind yura to betty what did you give him a fish diet for he has so much mind now that he hasn't an ounce of common sense there is some connection between the words and the numbers she intends to convey the idea that you're provoked convey nothing get numbers two and ten and don't stop to think until you are seated at the table and have given the cards to the waiter i'll try my dear to follow your instructions goes toward clara but cannot resist jotting down something else in his book yura talks to betty he is about to pass Clara when she touches his arm respectfully. He looks up inquiringly. Your cards, sir. Oh, yes. Number six and uh, number thirteen, please. Two and ten, you mean, sir? Smiles sweetly and hands him two cards. He takes them, much embarrassed, and again begins to think of the cryptic sign, walks into the wall sees his mistake and makes a dash for the dining room exit door center yura continuing in audible tone yes i should say we did have a terrible time to make your aunt jane see that it is her duty to the wives welfare club to resume the strike she wouldn't give in though until we promised her a suite at the alexandria <sighs> goodness knows how the money will be raised to pay for it unless we go through our husband's pockets when they're asleep betty laughs that'll not be an entirely new experiment will it <laughs> i don't need to wait till jim's asleep to go through his he's been burrowing in his musty book so long that he never knows what's going on outside of them but don't you think i'm making a good enough test case without your keeping aunt jane out on strike yes you're the one that's really bringing our husbands to time jim wouldn't like me to follow your example he'd never be able to get out his fresh underwear when he wanted a bath we've lived in that house for ten years and he doesn't know where his clothes are kept but you see my dear the more women we can keep on strike the better it is for us who don't strike but is that altogether fair to the strikers 
Fair? Who ever heard of fairness in a strike? If Jane had never gone out, it would be different. But to back down? No, she has got to stay out until we get our demands. You'll contribute, of course. Oh, yes. I'll see that Aunt Jane doesn't come to want. You're a trump. Exit quickly, door center. Betty saunters up to Clara. Enter Jane and Bob Spink. Door right, arm in arm. Got a table for us, Betty? Betty turns. Why, how's this? I forgave her again and took her back. Don't you believe it? He promised to reform. Goes, center, Betty left of her, Betty with a merry twinkle. Did you, Uncle Bob? Yep. Promised to be as angelic. Winking at Betty. As Jane herself. But, Auntie, what will the Wives' Welfare Club... The Wives' Welfare Club can be their own goat. Betty, how long are you going to keep up this separation from Thornton? Six weeks' punishment is enough for any man. His heart is broken. Betty sniffs. His appetite is good. Clara told me he stole three menus yesterday when her back was turned. He will demoralize my establishment. Who is going to be satisfied with a raw carrot and a glass of milk when an ostrich like that is beating under his very eyes? Betty, I used to ridicule your idea that most human ills are traceable to improper eating. But since your Uncle Bob has been following your advice, he has become almost as saintly as before we were married. And I've noticed a decided improvement in your Aunt Jane's disposition since you took the problem of the cook off her mind. My disposition requires no improvement. But, Betty, haven't you a course of diet that will remove wrinkles? Happiness is the only wrinkle eraser, Auntie. And now, since you have Uncle Bob back, to <laughs> Jaw? No, love. Your face is as smooth as a girl's. Shall I take the rheumatism bill affair again, Betty? Yes. Number eight for my uncle and four for my aunt, Clara. Bob goes to desk. Clara gives him bill affair, brings another to Jane. What will it do for me? Make you resume your dancing days. Oh, Betty, your diet kitchen is a godsend. No more cooks, thank heaven. I'll show you to your seats. Exit door left, followed by Bob and Jane. Enter Reynolds, door right. Clara sees him and becomes self-conscious. Howdy-do, Clara. Hesitates, embarrassed. Nice day. <laughs> Isn't that stupid of me? How many times have you been told about the weather today? A good many times, but I don't mind. Oh, you're so good-natured. You don't mind anything. You only think that. You must get pretty tired, don't you? It's hard work being on your feet all day. Reynold is making conversation and is not quite natural. Oh, a little bit, but Betty's so nice to work for. She sure has made a go of this place. The lame, the halt, and the blind come in and walk out cured. Not quite so miraculous as that but their health does improve remarkably when they live up to Betty's directions. She is wonderful and so kind and gentle. 
Reynolds, glancing admiringly at Clara. I know someone else who's kind and gentle, too. Clara laughs self-consciously, glances toward window. Here come Patricia Duggan and her poor husband. Tom Duggan poor? He makes scads of money. But he looks all worn out. I feel so sorry for him. What a sympathetic little pigeon you are. Starts to take her hand, but she draws back embarrassed. Enter Mr. and Mrs. Duggan, door right. Reynold going over to Pat. How are you, Mrs. Duggan? Oh, come see, come saw. What's that in United States? You tease. They talk and jest together. Tom, approaching desk to Clara. Please give me the same bill of fare I had yesterday. It made me feel like a colt. What do you call it? Clara glances toward Pat to see that she is not listening. Mrs. Albright has named it Overburdened Husband's Menu. Tom laughs. Did you follow the directions about relaxation and amusement? Mrs. Albright says there is nothing the matter with your stomach, but you need plenty of rest. To get the best results, it is necessary to follow all her orders. Tom glances toward Pat, sighs. Ah, uh, I find there's nothing like a set of marabou for bringing repose. Clara looks inquiringly. Tom laughs, starts toward tete-a-tete. Enter Betty, door left, extends her hand to Tom, and passes on to greet Pat. Tom sits on tete-a-tete. How are you, good folk? How are you, Reynolds? Reynolds, mournfully. Hungry? Betty laughs. Here, Tom, let me see your bill of fare. I believe Betty is holding out on me. Tom, to Reynolds. Don't you suppose we could have something with a bit more pep in it than that funeral march? Sure. Betty permits the orchestra to play anything the customers want. But she has them stick to the highbrow stuff whenever possible. Jazz for mine. I'll shut him off. Exits, door left. Re-enters immediately and sits by Tom. The orchestra starts some jazz music. Pat on the other side of room to Betty. Your going on strike has brought our husbands around quicker than we anticipated. See this lovely set of marabou? Tom bought it for me just as soon as he learned what a success you are making of this diet kitchen. He says he hasn't slept so well for a month as he did last night. Maybe you gave him a chance. I did. I went to the opera and left him at home alone. I was the envy of every woman there. I'm glad I had sense enough not to go on strike. It would have been foolish for us women to walk out without something to live on, wouldn't it? Betty, dryly. Rather. I saw that at once. You don't ever have to go back if Thornton doesn't do as you want. Betty, with a longing look. No. I don't ever have to go back. Sighs. I have my economic independence. I don't know what that means, but you certainly are making heaps of money. But Betty, I thought your marriage was a bed of roses. It was. The prickly kind. I'll wager I know the sharpest thorn. However, if Lily is the only cause, I wouldn't give her the satisfaction. Did you know that she has invited herself to the nuts? Shisha is furious. She says Lady Lily keeps the telephone wires hot calling up Thornton. If he prefers her, he is certainly welcome to his choice. It doesn't look that way. He hasn't been in their house since she moved in, and you know what chums he and John Nutt are. 
Yes, he used to spend half his time there. Betty, you are doing worlds for us wives. There's a peacherino of a moleskin coat that I'm trying to get Tom to buy for me, but I'd let it go rather than wreck your happiness. Don't forget that no man can hold out forever from the Tiger Lily brand. Betty shrugs her shoulders. Do you think you'll get your moleskin? Pat sighs. I don't know. But I told Tom if he didn't buy it, I'd start a bowling alley. Betty laughs. You'll need a bowling something if you don't look out for your health. Here, let me feel your pulse. Pat extends arm. I thought so. Circulation like a muddy pond. Cut out limousines and take hikes. Don't make me move more than I do now. Isn't there something I can eat that will bring the same result? Card number three will help some. Oh, you darling. Embraces Betty, then goes to Clara. Card number three, please. Clara gives her card. Pat reads. One raw egg beaten in lemon juice? Hands it back, haughtily. You've made a mistake. Card number three, my dear. That is card number three. Pat glances toward Betty. Heartless! Betty laughs. Tom, let me see your menu. Grabs card out of his hand and reads aloud. Choice of hors d'oeuvres, soup, fish, entree, roast, salad, pie, pudding, ice cream, nuts, cheese. Oh, heavens! All the things I adore! Reynolds laughs and joins Betty. Better take her advice, Patricia. She's made me feel like a fighting cock already. Tom, Betty says I am an exceedingly sick woman. My blood doesn't circulate at all. I think that moleskin coat I saw at the Ville would accelerate the red corpsicles. Tom makes a rush for center door. Great Scott, you'll make me lose my appetite. Pat grabs hold of him. But Tom, just one minute. Tom, trying to release himself. No, I have a very important engagement. Pat, severely. Tom Dugan, if you don't buy me that moleskin coat, I'll start a jazz hall directly across from your office. Tom, alarmed. Ye gods. How would Mrs. Thomas Dugan look teaching the shimmy? She begins to dance, catches hold of Reynolds before he knows what she's about. Tom looks on, horrified at her audacious movements. Oh, my appetite, it's going. Pat drops her menu as she whirls toward him, pushes her face mischievously up into his. Do I get the mole skin? Anything, only don't spoil a good dinner. Rushes out, door center. Pat, triumphantly, glances over her shoulder at Betty. I got him! Exits after Tom, door center, laughing. Betty looks after her. What a lovely wax model Pat would make for a show window. Notices menu on floor. Run after her, Clara. She dropped her menu. And stop that jazz music. How can anybody chew his food slowly with that kind of an accompaniment? Clara picks up the menu and exits door center. The music stops for a while. Betty to Reynold as she looks after Clara. What a lovely girl Clara is. Yes, she is such a comfortable little body. She's the kind of girl that makes a fellow have confidence in himself. When I see you two working here, I feel ashamed to be lazing around. Then why don't you settle down and get married? Now Clara is... You see, Betty, I'm not altogether certain that I... But you are. Anyone can see that. 
She sure is a fine girl. Then why don't you... Well, you see... Look here, Ronald Winburn. You are always telling me that you would do anything for me. Yet when I pick out the very nicest girl I know for you, you hem and haw and hesitate. Clara is so genuine, I wouldn't like to be unfair to her. You see, Betty, I'm not quite sure that I have got over... Oh, well, if you don't want to please me in a little thing like that... Shrugs her shoulders. And you can talk of marriage as a little thing after your experience? Little? Laughs without enjoyment. Ha ha, it is less than little. It is nothing at all to thorn to me. Reynolds solemnly. Betty, Thornton is very ill. Ill? Oh, where is he? Starts as if to go to him. Reynolds smiles. Betty recovers herself. Oh, you bad boy. I knew he would be. He stole three farm laborers' bills of fare and ate two lobsters and a whole mince pie. Take him back, won't you? Betty gives him a push. Oh, you... A nice third part of a triangle you make, asking me to take my husband back. And a nice third part of a triangle you are, asking me to marry somebody else. Don't be silly. I have no intention of taking him back. He told me he had begged your pardon for being such a grouch, with every pleading word he could find in the dictionary. But he hasn't admitted woman's equality to man. With quivering chin and mouth as she wipes away a tear. And I don't believe he ever will. Don't be picky, Eunish. You said you were only going on strike until he towed the mark. Betty, recovering her poise. I've changed my mind. I now see it would take a regiment of cooks to fill him up. Then if you won't take him back, maybe you'll get a divorce and marry me? This is a diet kitchen, not a marriage bureau. Oh, I thought it was. You are so anxious for me to marry. Shh! Clara enters, door left. Clara, give Mr. Winburn the infant's bill of fare. Clara offers him a baby blue card. He reads... Dining room number three in front of cow barn. One pail of warm milk fresh from the cow? Oh, pickles. Exit door left. Betty sees Lily coming. To Clara. That creature here again. I wish I had prepared a carbolic acid menu. I don't want to see her. Starts up center. What card shall I give her? Indigestion bill of fare. If she eats everything on that, she'll have to be carried out on a stretcher. Exit, door left. Enter Lily, door right, looks around. Betty not here? She was called away. Enter Reynold, door left, goes to Clara and whispers something to her. Exit, Clara, door left. Reynold, with a determined air, makes for Lily. Lily, I want a serious talk with you. Serious? Bows. Why am I so favored? Don't try to attitudinize before me. Betty and Thornton are my friends. Lily insinuatingly. It is plainly apparent that Betty is your... Smiles. Friend. Cut that. I said friends. I reckon a fellow can be fond of a woman without ceasing to be either her friend or her husband's. It's not usual. Reynold, conciliatory. 
Don't let's quarrel, Lily. You don't realize it, but you're butting in at the wrong time now. One of these fine days, Thornton, in a fit of despondency, will do something he'll always regret if there's a pretty girl around willing to play the game with him. Betty's true blue. True blue and quit him? Oh, you know she didn't quit him for keeps. She just wants to make him throw away his old-fashioned notions of a woman's place in the home. Lily smiles. Do you think there is any chance of Thornton ever giving up any of his cherished opinions? I don't know. He sure does like to boss. I prefer the dominant male myself. You? <laughs> I've a pipe dream of your catering to any man's whims. If a woman uses the right tactics, she can turn the catering the other way round. There's no sense in open antagonism. Reynold, sneering. Wheedling, I suppose. It's the method you men have forced on us. We must match our wits against your strength. Looks at Reynold schemingly and speaks with deliberation. But what do you think might happen if Thornton, in a moment of despondency, should turn for consolation to someone else? Reynold, not suspecting her motive, answers frankly. Betty'd never stand for it. Never. I know her well enough for that. She'd divorce him. Reynold is too much occupied with his thoughts to notice Lily's satisfaction. And that would be the end of it, so far as Betty's concerned. I should think that would just suit you. It would suit me down to the ground. But I don't believe it would suit Betty. And her happiness is the main thing. Now be a good girl and don't complicate matters. Exit door left. Enter Clara, door left. Lily has approached desk and is glancing over cards. This is your menu, Mr. Longprey. Lily takes card. How can you remember the right ones for the right people? Part of Mrs. Albright's success is due to the personal attention given everyone. Then she really is successful. I fancied it was all a big bluff. No, indeed. She is making money faster than a Wall Street broker. You see, the idea is unique, to give people the exact amount and the right kind of food that their particular case requires. Usually dietitians act as if the human race had but one stomach. I believe that everybody in this town that is mentally or physically ill comes to us. Laughs and goes to window. <laughs> that is, everybody but the lawyers. They say they are going to boycott the place. Their divorce cases have been falling off so much since this diet kitchen started. You know, Mrs. Albright specialises on bad disposition. <laughs> Might as well try to change the Milky Way. There comes Mr. Albright now. Enter Thornton, door right, stands in door a moment, looking around. Lily pretends not to know he is there, speaks so he can hear. I should think Mr. Albright would be very proud to have a hash-slinger for a wife. Turns and pretends to see him for the first time, runs to him. Oh, Thornton, forgive me. My indignation got the best of my unruly old tongue. Thornton to Clara. Will you please tell Betty I want to see her? Certainly. Exit door left. Thornton to Lily. 
Yes, I'm the laughing stock of the whole town. The fellows are all kidding. I won't have it. Damn it. Something has got to be done. I don't suppose you would care to take any advice from an old friend. I've wanted so much to help you, but you have constantly avoided me. No, not that. But I haven't been in the humor to see anybody. I love my wife. You know that, don't you? Lily sighs. Oh, yes, I know. Would she were worthy of so great a love? I have told her over and over again that I behaved like a senseless ass that day. But she insists that my actions were but the demonstration of traditional opinions that most men possess. And until I change my opinions, there is no certainty that I'll not have similar tantrums. Now I ask you, as friend to friend, do you think I should give up all my ideas about women just because I'm married? Certainly not, especially when your ideas are the right ones. Thornton eagerly, but not quite sure of himself. You really think they are? Don't you? Thornton hesitatingly. Oh, yes, yes. Braces himself. And this ridiculous notion of a wife's economic independence? Why, a fellow would never dare say a word. Lily smiles to herself, but he doesn't see it. It certainly places a woman in a position where she can be easily compromised. Every old roué in town patronizes this café. You don't suppose they come for unbaked bread and cereal coffee, do you? Thornton flops in chair. Good Lord, I never thought of that. There is some safety in numbers, but how about Reynold? Oh, Reynold is innocuous. He's trying his best to make it up between us. And you believe that? Don't you? Lily shrugs her shoulders. Oh, I don't know where I'm at. Your men friends are kidding you because your wife is running an eating house, but your women friends are wondering at your credulity. Reynold and Betty... You're wrong there. It is only puppy love Rennie has for Betty. Why, he and Clara are... Lily laughs. He and Clara? Really, Thornton, I thought you had more discernment. Thornton, seriously. Lily, I know you mean well, but you're going too far. I wouldn't believe anything against Betty unless I saw it with my own eyes. If you keep your eyes open, you will see a plenty. I should have thought your wife would have had enough consideration for the name she bears to take up a refined occupation at least. Betty's diet kitchen? <laughs> but we have to hand it to her for making a go of it. Original little devil. Oh, if you're satisfied, there is nothing more to be said. Satisfied? I'm humiliated down to the ground. Hang it! She's made a bigger success in her business than I have of mine. I'll help you win her back if you'll let me. You know it takes a woman to know a woman. If you only would, I'd be your debtor for life. To have forwarded your happiness, Thornton, is quite enough payment for me. 
noble girl what is your plan you must make her furiously jealous that's the way to bring her to reason when she thinks she is about to lose you she'll move heaven and earth to get you back and would you really be willing to do this for me you know coming between husband and wife is no sinecure i'd do anything to see that old carefree look on your face again you know betty has always been a wee bit jealous of me anyway i believe you're right she accused me the day she left of showing you too much attention i didn't think much about it then it was so absurd lily doesn't quite like this last remark how can we arrange it something that will bring quick results you pretend that you realize at last that she was never the wife for you good and you don't bother about me i'll follow your lead what do you say to a flirtatious dinner in the open cafe as a starter excellent enter clara door left mr albright mrs albright said oh never mind give me the bill of fear that has the most on it and takes the longest time to eat but mrs albright told me i was to give you an abstemious bill of fare thornton grabs up bunch of cards you can tell madame betty for me that i do not come to this cafe for her advice but for the cookery clara stares in astonishment thornton nods to lily laughingly guess i'll hold her for a while lily showing satisfaction it will certainly set an independent betty down a peg or two thornton scared but uh, you don't suppose it's likely to set her against me more than ever do you impossible it will simply make her see that you mean business lillian thornton exuant door center clara closes the door after them returns to desk picks up several stacks of menus enter reynold door left musicians play chopin clara forgetting her timidity runs to reynold she still unconsciously holds the cards oh reynold that dreadful lily is going to have dinner with thornton betty will not like it a bit oh i wish i knew what to do can't you prevent them before betty sees them how can i if they have already gone in probably she has seen them by now no betty is in the private dining-room i can't very well force them apart do try to do something i can't bear to see betty feel bad betty pretends that she doesn't care but she does i have caught her crying to herself several times lately poor betty starts towards centre i'll shoot that thornton clara catches hold of him oh betty wouldn't like that at all no i suppose not clara still unconsciously holding the menus in one hand while she holds reynold with the other oh reynold you are such a big strong man do think of something reynold puffs out proudly i do so want her to be happy so do i his face suddenly lightens clara will you marry me clara drops the menus and starts back amazed oh gracious both on their knees picking up the cards which have fluttered in every direction whatever made you think of such a thing 
Oh, I've been thinking about it for ever so long. Will you? Clara, they have crawled closer together, still picking up the cards. I don't know what I ought to say. Reynold, getting hold of her hand as they both reach for the same card. Don't you like me enough? They rise together, he still holding her hand. Oh, oh it isn't that, but I'll see what Betty says. I know what she will say. Here's Betty now. Clara moving shyly away from Reynold. She looks serene. I don't believe she has seen them. We'll keep her here until they get through dinner. Enter Betty, door left. Say, Betty, Clara wants your advice. Betty smiles on Clara. Nothing so easy to give and nothing so hard to take, dear girl. Clara is assorting the various menus and putting the colors together. What happened to the menus? Clara is at desk, Betty is to her left, and Reynold is down right. Enter Shisha, door center, throws one door open, Clara closes it. Betty! Betty! Goes center. She has copped him at last! Reynold and Clara try to stop her, but it is useless. Music changes to ragtime. What are you talking about? Goes left of Shisha. Lillian Thornton! They are making a show of themselves in the public dining room. My dear, no decent woman stands a chance against that brand. Betty, angrily. You mean they are dining together in my restaurant? Not only dining, but holding hands. That is, they were until I sent John over to sit between them. Betty starts center. Oh, put them out. Stops and turns back. I don't want you to suppose that I care two figs what they do, but I'll have them know this is a respectable place. Something must be done. And I'm the one who will do it. Lily can feed him from now on. That will be enough punishment for him. Starts up center again. Enter Yura, door center, throwing both doors wide open, revealing Thornton and Lily sitting at table. He holds one of Lily's hands, and John Nutt holds the other. They are having a hilarious time. When Betty sees them, she hesitates. Shisha, come quick! Yura goes center. Shisha to her right. Reynold right of them. Clara up by desk. Betty up by center door, undecided what to do. Why? Look! My John is holding her hand, too! Oh, Lordy, I'm lost! He's so good-natured he'll be paying her board next. The whole wives' welfare club and their husbands are in there. Jim Lamb comes over to table. Lily draws her hand away from Thornton and extends it to Jim. Look, Yura. Yura turns and sees her husband smiling a silly smile as Lily draws him forward. <gasps> what next? My lamb in the spider's net? turns on Betty. You got us into this. Now you've got to get us out. Betty goes down to left. I got you in. Reynold goes up to desk with Clara. Enter Pat, door center, hurriedly. Betty Albright, instead of standing there jollying the public, you better go into that dining room. There's going to be a riot. We won't have a husband left among us. Tom says I and my moleskin coat can go to a place he's never mentioned in my presence before. 
Pat, Shisha, and Yura crowd down front, much excited. But what have I done? Done? You've taken the husbands out of the home! John says no home was ever like this. Jim refuses to eat a meal at home. He's sure there's some cryptic meaning in your reason for running this restaurant. Tom Duggan comes over to Thornton's table, asks if he can join party. Lily and Thornton consent. Tom beckons to a tiny peroxide blonde. She trips over. The waiters pull several tables together to make room for all. Pat turns and sees her husband with tiny girl. Goodness alive! Look at her! Infant size! Thornton and Lily rise. John still clings to Lily's hand. Lily withdraws it, laughing, and tossing him her glove, which he kisses with mock ardor. Shisha, sarcastically. Too bad she couldn't leave her hand. John spies a dashing-looking brunette with intelligent face and alert manner, the exact opposite of his wife. He motions for her to join them. She points to her friend, a very thin girl, and asks in pantomime if she may bring her along. John nods, and they come over. There is an interchange of introductions. Tom Duggan gives waiter bribe to bring them something not included in Bill of Fare. He is seated by the petite blonde. John by the brunette. Her friend takes a seat next to Jim Lamb, who is very shy at first, but warms under the young lady's encouragement. Pat to Betty. You call this a restaurant? Betty beside herself with annoyance. My dears, I am so sorry. Goes to them. Then act! Then act! Then act! 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 act. 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 Enter Bob and Jane Spink. Door left. Pat glances into dining room, sees Tom take off girl's coat. He measures it and looks highly satisfied. Oh, my moleskin coat! Who proposed the strike, anyway? I did. Then why weren't you on the job? Jane links her arm in her husband's and crosses toward door right with much satisfaction. Bob chuckles. Exit door right. Pat, Shisha, and Yura with ejaculations of disgust. It's, it's all, all her, her fault. fault. They turn on Betty. It's, it's all, all your, your fault. fault. Who's going to care for me now, I'd like to know. Who'll buy my clothes? You've got to feed us. Stop it. You'll split my eardrums. You're a lot of... Don't, Don't say, say it. it. I won't, but I'll think it. Pat, trying conciliatory methods. Come now, Betty. Be a good girl and make it up with Thornton. Do, Do for, our, for sakes. our sakes. Why, I should like to know? Moral influence, my dear. If our husbands haven't a home-like place like this to hang out in, they'll come back to us. You'll take them back? After that? Points to the men making love to the girls, Shisha almost weeping. We've got to take them back. You don't expect us to go to work, do you? Ladies, you can do with your husbands what you please. But I know what I'm going to do with mine. Exit door left. Shisha amazed. What do you suppose she is going to do? There was blood in her eye. You don't suppose? Let's get out of here. There's going to be shooting and I don't want to get hit. And not one of us can drive a car. 
and all the streetcar men are on strike. All three, disappointed. We'll have to walk. Music turns with There Will Be a Hot Time in the Old Town Tonight. They exit door right hurriedly. Enter door center, Tom Duggan holding the little blonde's hand like a child. John Nutt follows, talking gaily with the dashing brunette. Jim Lamb brings up the rear, enraptured at his sentimental dissipation, the thin girl clinging to him and having the time of her life with the timid professor. Music ceases. They all exit door right and can be heard laughing and talking as they bundle into the automobiles and drive away, singing some popular air. Enter Betty, door left. Betty, grimly. Clara, tell the head waiter to see that no one enters this room but Thornton and Lily de Lompre. Then you come back. Very well. Exit, door center, closing the doors. Shall I go? You go out there in the street and stay until the three of us are together. Then you come in. Want me as a witness? Don't talk. Go. Exit Reynold, door right. Betty sees Thornton and Lily coming from center. Exit, door left. Enter Thornton and Lily, door center. Lily, seeing Betty as she goes out, to Thornton. Be careful. She's listening. Thornton, grandiloquently. Ah, Lily, this is the happiest evening of my life. Makes grimace. It would have been for me, too, but for those stupid interruptions. Oh, Thorny, how different you are from other men. Clings to him seductively. He hands her to tete-a-tete left and seats himself beside her to the right. They gaze ardently at each other. Enter Betty, door left. Clara, door center, and Reynold, door right. Betty motions for him to be silent. He remains right. Thornton has seen Betty come in. He puffs out pompously and awaits Betty's onslaught with much satisfaction. When Betty gets to where they sit, she quickly extends her hand. Afraid that she is going to throw something, they spring up, almost overturning the tete-a-tete. Betty, smiling amiably. How are you, good people? So sorry I was too busy to give you personal attention. Was your dinner satisfactory, Thornton? And yours, Lily? Thornton, completely taken aback, stares stupidly. Good Lord, it didn't work. Drops on seat. Betty goes to Reynold, pats his cheek. Poor deserted boy. Thornton starts up. Oh, I say. Lily, aside to him. She's bluffing. Don't give way. Keep it up. He tries to look happy, but cannot. Betty continues caressing Reynold, much to the young man's astonishment and discomfort, as he glances toward Clara, who is seated at desk with back to them. Make her jealous. Thornton puts his arm around Lily's waist. Betty turns and sees the embrace. Oh, I see the rumor is correct. Then you are engaged? Thornton starts to protest. Lily nudges him. He stutters. Yes? Puffs out. Oh, yes! So glad to hear it. So are Reynolds and I. Oh, I say! Why, Reynolds, you're not going to withdraw your proposal, are you? Proposal? 
Didn't you say, if you're not going to take him back, why don't you get a divorce and marry me? Yes, but... You haven't changed your mind so soon, have you? Reynolds glances at Clara, who turns and motions for him to consent. Oh, I'd be tickled to death. Gazes about in helpless confusion. Too bad we shall have to wait for the stupid formality of a divorce. Perhaps, not to delay the game, we might resort to the newfangled contract system. I am sure no words being said over Runny and me could add to the sanctity of our love. Draws his head to her and fondles him. Isn't that so, sweetheart? The poor lad is frightened to a tremble, gazes beseechingly toward Clara, who turns back to desk, pretending to be very busy. Thornton jumps away from Lily. Great God, what has come over you? I'm your husband. I'm your... Boss? Oh, no. I'm boss of my own soul. You seem to forget that you're my wife. Only in the eyes of the law. In the eyes of the world. Makes a gesture toward dining rooms. Lily should occupy that place. What a confounded fool I've made of myself. Turns on Lily. And it was all through you. You said she would jump into my arms when she saw me in yours. Thornton, how can you so misrepresent? You deny it? I most certainly do. Didn't I beg you to let Thornton alone? <laughs> Not so anyone could notice it. You begged me to make a clear field for you. Reynold to Thornton. Did you ever see such a liar? Never in all my life. Out, out, I say. You came near wrecking my home. But if it goes to smash, it won't be because of you. Lily running toward door right, calling feebly. Help! Help! He's going to... Exit door right. Reynold goes to Clara, whispers to her. She looks up laughing. He puts his arm around her and they quietly exit door right. Betty, won't you forgive your cranky old husband? I swear I'll never grumble again if you'll only take me back. And you still believe man is woman superior? Superior? Most of us haven't sense enough to come in out of the wet. Then, if you wish it, I'll be a wife to you again. Thornton starts to embrace her. Wish it. Betty holds him off. With one proviso. That you permit me to maintain my economic independence. But, Betty, our home? Home is the happy moments we pass together. Holds out her arms to him. May I come home now? Thornton clasps her in his arms. To the devil with tradition. I've got my wife back. Curtain. End of Wives on Strike by Lillian Sutton Paley.